Welcome to True Paranormal, the podcast with your host, Leo Rizzuti. Every week we will explore such topics as ghosts, demons, poltergeist, haunted history, time shifts, cryptozoology, and other aspects of the paranormal through listener-submitted accounts, documentary studies, and interviews with the investigators that dedicate their lives to searching for proof of the unknown. So get a fresh cup of coffee, dim the lights, relax, and get ready for a short visit to the realm of the true paranormal. Hey guys, Leo Rizzuti here. Welcome to another episode of True Paranormal, the podcast. As you can probably tell by the Elmer Fudd sounding quality of my voice, I am still in the midst of trying to get rid of this mysterious head cold that just seems to reach up and bite me in the butt every time I think that it has gone away. So I appreciate your guys' indulgence with that and, uh, Hopefully you guys will stick around for the wonderful stories that we're going to share with you tonight. That's right. Tonight we've got listener stories for you guys. I know that we've been doing a lot of interviews and I love doing the interviews and you guys seem to like the interviews, but everybody knows the stories are our bread and butter. So we've got quite a few of those lined up. We're going to jump into three or four of those tonight. So sit back, relax, and enjoy tonight's show. Okay, our first story of the night comes to us from Jacqueline, and she has sent us the harrowing tale of her amateur ghost hunt. Okay, Jacqueline, let's see what exactly you guys ran into. One night, my husband and I were hanging out at my parents' house with my sister, brother-in-law, and cousin. We were all kind of bored. And since we had been watching a couple of episodes of Ghost Hunters, we decided to do a little ghost hunting of our own. So we asked my parents if they knew anywhere close by that was supposed to be haunted. My mom told us about this bridge that was supposed to have a woman walk across it every night at midnight. We went and sat in our car parked on the bridge until about 12.35 and nothing happened. We were disappointed, so we all were thinking of somewhere else to go. My husband told us that he remembered this old house that some of his friends had been to that was supposed to be haunted. It was down a dirt road called Deuteronomy Drive, so we went. We pulled up to the beginning of the dirt road that was surrounded by trees on both sides. We went down a little ways and then saw a huge white house standing in front of us. The front door was wide open, and there was a dog-like stuffed animal on the front steps. The toy looked very old. The house was two stories high and was completely dark outside. By this time, it was around one in the morning. At first, us three girls were too scared to go in. We had a bad feeling, I guess, so the two guys went in. They took in a flashlight. We saw the light move from room to room as we waited in the car. They weren't there very long. They came running out and said we had to see what it was like. My cousin grabbed her digital camera from her purse and we went in, my brother-in-law in front, us girls in the middle, and my husband last. My brother-in-law took over the camera. When we first stepped in the house, it became very cold, even though it was summertime. 
there was a long staircase right in front of us, but we figured we would look downstairs first, then go upstairs. We went into the first room to the left and all got the scare of a lifetime when a bird came flying through the doorway. After we all caught our breath, we swept the flashlight around the room. There was writing all over the walls. Get out. Leave us alone. Go away. It was all written in red. Other than that, the room was completely empty. I was ready to go, but everyone insisted we stay to look around. So we left out of the first room and made our way into the kitchen. As soon as we stepped in, we heard a noise come from high up. Right at that time, my brother-in-law snapped a picture. I clung on to my husband and we went into the living room. All that was in there was an empty chair, of which we took another couple of pictures. We made our way to the doorway and we were back in front of the staircase. We looked up and shined the light. It was too creepy. I couldn't go up. I felt like there was something very bad up there. I can't explain it. I was afraid of the whole house, but I was terrified of what we would find upstairs. We took a picture from where we stood, and then we left. As we were backing out of the driveway, we all took another look at the house. We saw a light in the upstairs right window. Not like a light that lit up the whole room, but sort of a glow. I was terrified. We left and went to a nearby gas station that was open 24 hours. In the parking lot, we looked at the three pictures we had just taken. The one from the kitchen, where we heard the noise, had sort of a blue glowing ball right in the spot where the noise came from, high in the air. The second one of the chair had more of a white glowing circle right in the center of the chair. And the third picture of the staircase had what seemed to be a fog-like face at the top of the stairs. I told my brother-in-law that he had had to have messed up the picture somehow, that the things we saw weren't real. I was really trying to convince myself because I was so scared. He told me there was no way he could have because it was a digital camera, but he had an idea to prove it to me. On our way home, we stopped by an old cemetery. He said, okay, she doesn't believe in you guys, so strike a pose for the camera. And he took a picture. We got back into the car and looked at the camera. There were hundreds of these white and blue glowing circles all around the headstones. I knew it was true, and I knew the house we had just been in was haunted. The next day we downloaded all the pictures onto the computer, and you could see them all so clear. Even the face on the stairs was very clear. A few days later we were telling my grandparents about them and asked if they believed in ghosts. My grandfather, who was a very serious, stern man, said he believed. He told us that when he was a teenager, there was a murder in a house nearby where we lived. Three people were killed. We asked where the house was. He told us on a dirt road called Deuteronomy Drive. We all just looked at each other with white faces. We told him that's the house where we got the pictures. He said he wasn't surprised, but warned us not to go back. 
He had heard too many bad things happening in there, he said. Of course, we're all stubborn, so that night around 11 p.m., we went back. We pulled into the long driveway, and the dog-stuffed animal was now hanging by a rope. I was too scared to get out, so the two guys and my sister did. Me and my cousin just sat in the car, and we saw the light upstairs again. We couldn't believe they were brave enough to go upstairs, but as we were watching the light move from room to room upstairs, they all ran out the front door. They got into the car, and I pointed to the tip of the house and showed them the light. They weren't in there alone. We drove off as fast as we could, and we haven't been back since. I'm curious, but I'm too scared. I know what we saw was the presence of someone or something that wasn't ready to pass on. I believe the glowing orbs were the people who were murdered, and I believe the face at the top of the stairs was the killer. We found out later from my grandfather that the man who killed the three people also killed himself upstairs at the top of those very stairs. Okay, Jacqueline. Wow, that is an absolutely terrifying story. And to be honest with you, it's one that we are seeing more and more of these days with the popularity of ghost hunting shows. Seems like people are watching the shows and then getting revved up to go do a little ghost hunting on their own. So they just kind of pick out a haunted location or a haunted house in their area and just go check it out, which could be a lot of fun. I suppose, unless you get the bejesus scared out of you. Um, it was absolutely remarkable that you were able to get the backstory on the home and that it lined up with the little bit of evidence that you captured. Um, the glowing light upstairs, I will tell you the first thought that I had was maybe there was a physical person in the home, maybe a squatter, something like that. But, of course, that doesn't explain the evidence that you caught or anything like that. But it would explain why the stuffed animal was hanging the next time that you guys came out there instead of actually being in the door. Could be that you had an actual squatter in there. Um, not sure why the light would appear so strange, though. Because I kind of I kind of visualize in what you're saying with a glow instead of like a flashlight or uh, the kind of light that lights up an entire room. But just thought I would put that out there. And I also would be remiss if I didn't say that, remember, guys, if you are going to spontaneously go out on a ghost hunt, that you make sure that you're pleased not trespassing and that the area that you're in is physically safe. Um, that's why a lot of times when we do investigations, we go out in the daytime to scout the location before actually doing any kind of investigation not only to just kind of get the the lay of the land and to see what it physically looks like, but also to make sure that the structures are physically safe and obviously that you have permission to be there. Um, most of the time you go out these places, nothing bad will happen. Uh, you'll have a little bit of excitement. Maybe you catch a little bit of evidence. Maybe you don't, but, you know, fun time had by all. But it just takes one bad experience to turn what is initially intended to be a fun and exciting activity into either a run-in with the police or 
worse yet, a potential tragedy, especially if you go into an old, some of these older homes where they're just not structurally very sound. So please, please, please be careful out there. Um, again, I understand the spur of the moment. Hey, I want to go investigate this place. We've all done it, and it's always been a good time, but just be careful and um, make sure that your first priority is that you are being safe, please. But that being said, I really appreciate your story, Jacqueline. That was absolutely incredible. Okay, our next story comes to us from Steve, and he has titled it, The Ghost of a Young Girl. Okay, Steve, let's see what you sent to us. I would like to start off by stating that I have hardly ever told anyone about what I have seen or experienced. It was about 30-odd years ago when I was a young boy and living on an old council estate with my mom, dad, and my baby brother. At this particular time, we were living in Kingston-upon-Thames, Surrey, and the council estate was called Kensington Park Estate. This was the only estate that had its own very special school, Kingsnipton Primary School. Each block of flats were named after counties or whatever up and down the UK, i.e. Hockley House, Purebrook House, Purbright House, Newdigate House, and so forth. I got to learn that the estate that we lived on had, one, been well and truly blitzed during the Second World War, and two, the estate used to be owned by the royals, Henry VIII's era. As far as the royal aspect of the place, how true this really was I do not know, but all the hallmarks of the estate being blitzed during World War II were definitely there. My dad was rather strict, as parents were back then, and my brother and me had a fairly early bedtime, somewhere around 6.30 or 7 p.m. Being that early, we very rarely actually went straight away to sleep. One evening, while I was going off to sleep, after my brother and I had been playing up for quite some time, I was awakened by what seemed like a huge weight on my bed and legs. I sat bolt upright and wondered who was sitting on me. I don't know if I was feeling scared or what, but I used to wonder who or what it was. This would go on for days on end until one night in particular. I was woken up by the same weight on my bed, only for some odd reason, instead of looking at the end of my bed, I looked at my bedroom door, which shone in the moonlight since it had been painted with white glossy paint. In front of my bedroom door, I could see this figure of a girl who looked to be about 14 years old. She was wearing a long white dress and had very long blonde hair right down past her shoulder blades. This figure of the little girl was sitting on a stool with straw strewn all over the place at a spinning wheel. The girl would look up at me with her arms stretched outwards and I could see that she had tears streaming down her face. It was as if she were crying for my help and begging me to come to her. I just remember sitting up in my bed and feeling rather confused, not knowing what to do. This happened multiple times. In the end, I would just try and crawl to the end of my bed, but I never 
even got halfway as she would always vanish. It went on for, I suppose, about six months or so, and then I never saw her again. I am now 39 years old and moved to the Midlands after a 12-year spell living in Portsmouth. Many memories from my childhood have faded over the years, but to this day, I just cannot ever forget the vision of that little girl. Whoa, Steve, that's an absolutely great story. And I, I love, in particular, the stories from the UK uh, because of the history involved, where you've got an estate, a council estate, which was potentially, possibly part of the royal lands. Uh, definitely sounds like an older house, uh, one that was blitzed during World War II. Just a lot of history going on in that home. Um, and you definitely had some strong activity, sounds like, going on in your home, but I'm not sure how to particularly classify it. Uh, it could be, and at first glance, seems to be just a standard haunting, but the fact that you didn't mention that there was activity anywhere else is a bit out of the ordinary. Uh, usually hauntings are not limited to just one small space in the house, like one room, although you do see that every once in a while, and it's not discounting the fact that maybe you did have other activity there, but you just didn't have it as part of your story. So could be that as well. Um, could be also a residual haunting, which would explain both the apparition and the experiences only being in one location. Uh, but the thing about a residual haunting is it's more like watching a videotape. It's not normally interactive. Uh, you'll see an apparition or you'll hear a noise, but if you see an apparition, and there's a lot of classic haunting stories where you'll see an apparition and you'll try to get whatever it is attention, but it will literally act like you're not there. Um, you'll see it going through walls where there used to be doorways, things like that. Um, but just think of that more as a videotape or as a movie that's playing as opposed to uh, actual spirit. Um, and there's a thing called the stone tape theory, things like that. We could really get into the weeds talking about residual hauntings. But the fact that you said that you felt like something really heavy was sitting on your bed and your legs would not lend itself to the standard description of a residual haunting. So that kind of throws that out the window. The third thing that it could be, and this is kind of stretching it a little bit, but it could be an isolated time anomaly, perhaps in conjunction with like a temporary vortex. Um, this would explain the limited area and the short period of time that the experience happened in. And with that, what you're doing is you're basically opening up a window to another time. So you're actually looking back in time. Uh, this phenomenon has been known to happen most often in Europe, uh, particularly around uh, Versailles. Uh, a lot of people have experienced time anomalies around there. And also some of the concentration camps in Germany, people will experience time anomalies there. So usually it's in conjunction with high, high energy and high emotion associated with the time that you're looking back on. But again, that would not explain the weight sensation on the bed. So probably the most likely explanation is the first one that I came to, which is just a standard haunting, but one where the spirit's particularly drawn perhaps to you and your brother. And since you guys were in the bedroom, maybe 
that would explain why it only occurred in the bedroom. And again, you could have had experiences in other parts of that house and just not had that as part of your story. But perhaps the spirit was drawn to you guys because you were closer to her age and that was really appealing to her. But at any rate, I appreciate you sharing your story with us. It was awesome. Thank you. Our last story of the evening comes to us from Ray, and he has titled it A Mysterious Visitor. Okay, Ray, let's jump right into your story. I've seen, heard, and dreamed many of things beginning at age 6 to age 27. Now it is all but gone except the dreams, and I can still feel when there is something not of this world around me. The one event that still bothers me was when I lived in the small town of Seminole, Texas. The reason I named the town is because I really believe there is paranormal and demonic activity in this area. When I was 17 years old, we moved to a house on the outskirts of town. Happily, the house seemed very nice and quiet. Now, I believe that when you live a lifestyle that's not godly, you invite things to come and harass you. Because of this, I didn't drink or ever do any drugs. One night, I had been out pretty late. It was around 4 a.m. when I made my way to bed. The house we lived in was five bedrooms and two baths, with me and my parents using the back bedroom towards the back of the house. I laid down and was about to doze off when I heard a thud on the rooftop above my bedroom. I thought to myself, what the heck? I listened then about 30 seconds. Whatever it was started walking around and had heavy footsteps. It would stop and then walk some more and then stop and walk again. Now, I'm getting the chills just writing about it. Anyway, it sounded like it was maybe between 50 and 80 pounds. I was very scared and didn't want to move from my room. I psyched myself up just to get to sleep, and it would go away. It didn't walk around anymore after about five minutes of steady pacing. It never made a sound as if to push off the roof, only when it landed. So to me, this thing had wings. I also thought to myself, well, maybe it's just a big bird or an owl. But I kept playing the footstep sound over and over in my head. It sounded like a solid human foot. Not at all like the foot of a bird. I woke the next morning and told my mom what I heard. The first thing out of her mouth was, see, it's because of how you're living, staying out all night. I told my dad as well, and fortunately, he just listened to what I told him. It happened again three nights later between 4 and 5 a.m. The thud woke me up. Seconds later, it began to walk on the roof, and it walked as if it were looking for something. This time, it did something that made me run to my mom and dad's room. It walked around, then it walked as if it were right over my bed. My room was about 14 by 12, a good-sized room. Well, where my wall by my bed meets the ceiling, right where the two meet to make a corner, and I'm actually getting the jitters just writing this, Whatever it was, knocked by that corner, and the knock was so audible that it sounded like it was in the attic crawl space. 
I jumped out of bed and ran, woke my dad up, and told him what had happened. He quickly got up, took a flashlight, and headed out the back door. A couple of minutes later, he came in and said nothing was there. He could see that I was really shaken up. It visited again a third time a couple of days later. This time, my father was awake and heard the thud, again, around 4 or 5 a.m. He got up quietly, grabbed the flashlight, and went out the back door. I could still hear the thing walking as my dad made his way out. But at the same time that he closed the door, the walking stopped. Minutes later, my dad walked back in and he said he saw nothing. Now, my dad has always been the man I looked up to. He's like the man of all men. But when I looked at my dad's face, I could see that this incident really bothered him. The next day, my dad had a security light installed in the backyard, and we never heard it again. Now, to confirm this story, I met my wife 10 years after the incident and never mentioned it to her. She lived in Seminole, and one night we talked about weird happenings. She brought up an incident that dealt with the exact same thing at her aunt's house when she stayed with her. My mouth opened in disbelief. Her story matched mine as well concerning whatever it was walking on the roof. It still bothers me that I don't know what it was. Oh man, Ray, that was a wild story, dude. Um, And I'm not sure exactly what it was that you and apparently your wife experienced. Um, I will tell you, when you mentioned Seminole, Texas, I checked and couldn't find anything remotely similar to this being reported in and around Seminole. Although, as you said, it is apparently a very haunted area because there are a lot of ghost stories and a lot of urban legends and things like that that are based in and around Seminole. So it is an area of fairly high activity. Um, But it almost sounds similar to reports of the Jersey Devil, and possibly Mothman. Although both of those incidents, the creature in question was much heavier than 50 to 80 pounds, and they also had other activity associated with them, not just incidental things on the roof. Um, I do like the fact that you stated in there that the first thought that you had was that it might be a large bird. I was thinking maybe a turkey vulture or something like that because that's where my mind immediately went to. Uh, However, if you've ever experienced having a large bird land on your roof and walk around, you will know that the stepping sound is distinctly not like that of a person and is very clearly that of a claw bird's feet. Um, It's just a different sound. You can't mistake one for the other under any circumstances. So that seems a little odd. Um, And it would be really interesting to know just what it was that your dad saw. I'm not sure if your dad's ever told you what he saw or if he ever gave up that information or doesn't seem like the kind of person necessarily that would be really forthcoming with uh, that kind of information. But um, especially since it shook him enough to be noticeable to you and convince him to put up security lights, for sure he saw something there. And uh, it was something that apparently really got to him. So... But at any rate, I do appreciate you sharing your story with us, Ray. It was awesome. Well, guys, that is going to do it for this week's episode of True Paranormal, the podcast. I would like to thank 
Ray and Jacqueline and Steve for sending in your stories. You guys are absolute rock stars. And as always, if you would like to be a rock star and share your experience with us, simply contact us at trueparanormalpodcast at gmail.com. Send us your stories and we'll be glad to share them on a future broadcast. Also, we can be contacted on Facebook at True Paranormal Dash the Podcast and at Twitter uh, at True Para Podcast on that little platform that only allows you to say very short sentences. But the great thing is you can still message folks from it. So we do get a lot of people send us stories and things on Twitter. So it's a great place to get a hold of us. And we seem to have a pretty good presence there. So you guys keep rocking out the Twitter stuff and we'll keep rocking right back at you. Um, as we have been doing the last several weeks now, I would like to highlight a podcast that I have discovered not really discovered. This isn't like the new world or anything like that, but um, I have found it. It's new to me, um, and uh, I'm kind of enjoying. So this week we're going to look at one called The Origin of Species. Um, And folks who have known me for a long time know that, first off, I have kind of a hearing impediment that doesn't really... I don't want to say it doesn't allow me to, but it makes it very difficult for me to learn foreign languages because words jumble all together for me. Uh, if I hear somebody speaking a foreign language or if there's any background noise or anything like that, the words just kind of all melt together and I can't really distinguish what people are saying and I can't tell the ends of words and where words start, where words stop, things like that. And it makes it really difficult to learn languages. Um, I have no problem reading languages, but hearing them is a little different for me. Um, But because of that, I have really fallen in love with the English language. And I'm kind of an amateur etymologist in that I really have a fascination for the history of the English language, the history of individual words, and especially phrases and things like that. And on that note, I found a podcast where there are a couple guys, Scott and Steve, and they have just as much of a passion for this stuff as I do. Uh, each episode, they take a handful of phrases and they go into the history of them. And it's kind of neat because apparently everything either revolves around alcohol or Germany for some reason. So, um, and they're funny guys, and it's a great podcast. Um, here's their promo that they sent to us. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get going. This is your world, man. Hi, this is Steve. I'm here with my friend Scott. We want to tell you about our podcast, Origin of Species. Every week, Scott and I talk about uh, idioms, words, and phrases that we use every day, and also the history and stories behind them. Yeah, so you can learn about phrases like cutty or jib, loaded for bear. Yeah, raining cats and dogs, break a leg, but but more importantly, we learn about all the animals Steve hates or dislikes. Now, hate hate is a very strong word. Well, so some he respects like bears, but very much dislikes. No, I, I hate oh, most you do. of these animals. Okay, I so wanted, you do. <laughs> I just wanted to clarify it's a very strong word. Okay, so learn about how much Steve hates raccoons and uh, how possums are gross. Go to our website, 
speakseas.com. The word speak, C-I-E-S.com. And if you don't type it in correctly, you'll learn about Charles Darwin instead. Yeah. Okay, so you guys be sure to check out that podcast. Again, it's the origin of speakseas. That's uh, spelled a little different. Don't go looking for origin of species. Unless you're a Darwin fan, you're not going to be really content with what you find if you're going for a podcast on the English language. But it's the origin of species. And also check them out on Twitter. Uh, that's where we kind of bump into each other a lot. And um, be sure to let them know that True Paranormal, the podcast, sent you guys their way. I'm sure they get a kick out of that. That being said, if you guys are listening to us on iTunes or whatever platform you happen to be listening to us, if you would give us a rating and a review, we would really appreciate it. As always, every little bit helps us to climb ratings and to get a little bit more visibility, which allows us to get a little bit better content, which in turn creates a better entertainment experience for you guys. So, see, you're really helping yourself if you do that. Um, at any rate, I would like to thank you guys for joining us this week and every week. Uh, be sure to join us again next week for another episode of True Paranormal, the podcast. Mm-hmm.